Uh, John chapter 15. This is a, a really, really powerful portion of scripture. Uh, Jesus is about to be crucified. This is known as the Last Supper. This is where Jesus is sitting with the disciples, his closest friends, his closest followers. And he's giving them this kind of long form talk. Uh, actually, this talk found in John chapter 15, John chapter 14, um, it's actually known as the comfort passage of scripture because this is Jesus attempting to comfort his followers because he knows that he's about to leave them and they're pretty terrified. But it's also a passage of scripture where he's challenging his followers in a lot of ways. Uh, one of the ways we're gonna read about in just a minute, he's challenging them to be a branch and to stay connected to the true vine. Uh, that's the title of today's talk is I am the true vine. But to be a true vine means that there has to be a fake vine. There has to be other vines. There has to be vines that are counterfeit. One of the vines that Jesus is referencing that would have been very, very noticeable to the disciples was actually the vine of Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Isaiah, Israel as a nation was actually referred to as the vine. The problem was they weren't producing fruit. The problem was every single time that, that God would set them up for success, they would fall short. They would do something dumb. They would do something that would kind of blow up the entire thing that God was trying to do in their life. And so Jesus comes and he says, I am the true vine, which actually would have been like a referendum on these people's ancestors. He's saying, I am here to do what your great grandfather couldn't do. I am here to do what your family, what, what the people that came before you in this country could never do. I am the true vine. I will not fail. I will produce fruit. There will be a harvest. This is what Jesus is saying. And this is really, uh, you know, something that we can get excited about 2,000 years later. But you have to understand that the hearers of this word, they're being challenged by this. This is a, a very family-centric culture. Uh, the Jewish people, they loved their ancestors. They thought they were, they were their heroes, you know? And so when Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, this is, this is a challenge just as much as it is a comfort. And so he's sharing these words. And one thing before we read this I, that I think may help just with the imagery of, of what's happening here is they're at a table and they're drinking wine that came from a vine. They're sitting in Jerusalem, which was a city that was literally surrounded by vineyards. In fact, most homes during this time uh, of history would actually have their own little vines in the backyard that you could go and you could go and, and cr crush and create your own wine at your house. And so when he's sitting at this table, they're drinking from something that came from, wine, uh, came from vines and they're actually surrounded by vines. And this is where Jesus is, is about to say what we're about to hear in John chapter 15, verse one. He says, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me. If you're taking notes, if you want to just underline that right there, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
That's a word right there. I mean, we, we'll come back. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's pray. God, thank you for these moments. We don't take it for granted. Speak to us. Thank you for your presence that's here. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you're doing in our city. Thank you for what you're doing in the Tennessee Titans. Be with them today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 They're two and two. Going to be three and two today. Have you ever uh, had a day so ridiculous that it felt like you were living in a sitcom episode? No? All right. Maybe your life feels so ridiculous it feels like your whole life is a sitcom episode. Is there more of you? Yeah, that's me. Uh, this week, all of these things happened to me. I kid you not. This, just, just this week, all of these things happened. Uh, my dog threw up for 48 hours straight because he ate an Iron Man toy. Okay. Uh, number two, my son at the Mexican restaurant threw his cheese quesadilla at the woman in the booth next to us, just took a bite and just threw it and then started clapping. Uh, number three, I tried to make my wife surprise dinner reservations for her birthday, which was yesterday. Everybody say happy birthday, Maddie. I tried to make her surprise dinner reservations uh, and I put it, the details, in our shared Google calendar. That was number three. Number four, uh, I spent half a day laying out mole traps on Tuesday because a family of moles has waged war on the Heron household. All right, all of that happened this week. I mean, my life is a sitcom episode. Uh, earlier in the sitcom Noah, uh, when I was in college, I actually had a, a big boy job. I got a big boy job my sophomore year of college where I had to wear a suit and a tie every day. And um, I was taking it super serious. It was the first week I'd gotten the job. I wanted to make a good impression. And so I was waking up every single morning. I was shaving all of my facial hair because I just have a lot of it. And um, that's so rude. Like, you didn't have to laugh. I was clean shaven. And, uh, you know, I, I'm like ironing my clothes the night before. Uh, anybody like your arch nemesis is wrinkles. That's like my arch nemesis. I hate wrinkles. I iron everything. My, my wife, it drives her crazy. I'm like, can I iron that for you? <laughs> She's like, I just, I like it. And so I'm, I'm, at night, I'm ironing my clothes. I'm laying out my, my tie the night before. I'm making sure my, like, everything is ready to go for work. Well, uh, about the third day on the job, I, I go to bed. I plug my phone in. And how many of you use your phone as your alarm clock? Yeah. So, like, I have my, my alarm set on my phone, and, and I plug it in, and I go to bed. And I had to wake up at 5 a.m. to go to work every morning. And, and so this next morning, I wake up to the light from my bedroom window uh, coming onto my face. Now, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced the sun at 5 o'clock in the morning. You haven't. It was about 7.45 in the morning. 
I uh, was not woken up because when I plugged my phone into the outlet, the outlet was not working and I didn't know this. Have this has this ever happened to you? Maybe your charger didn't work or the outlet didn't work. It's the worst. It's the worst. If that's happened to you, you live in a sitcom episode. You live in a sitcom episode. This is the point I want to cut to. It's the point of the sermon. It's the point of uh, what Jesus was saying in John chapter 15. We're going to take the next 20 minutes and look at it together. But here's the point. So many people lack fruit. They lack passion. They lack purpose because they're plugged into sources that lack power. This is the point. They lack fruit because they're not connected to the true vine. The problem is that Jesus in John chapter 15, he is saying, as followers of me, you should be professional fruit producers. That's what he's saying. In fact, he goes as far as to say that fruit as a follower of Jesus is not an option. It's actually the proof that you follow him. It's not something that is, is supposed to be there in some seasons and not supposed to be there in other seasons. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, there will be fruit. If you're connected to me, there will be fruit. I want to warn you this morning that there are fake sources that you can be connected to that will lead to no fruit in your life. In fact, there's one source that I really do believe, especially in a Christian culture, especially in a time where it's easy to know about God, but never be with God for ourselves. There's actually one source that I really think is tempting our generation of of Jesus followers uh, that's actually keeping us disconnected from the vine, and it is the source of fruit itself. Everybody wants to be fruitful. But do you want to be fruitful more than you want to be with Jesus? I I just see this. I I see the desire for fruit keeping us away from Jesus himself. We live during a time where producing, where self-improvement, where all of these things are so elevated, where our goals have actually become our God's. We live in a time, this culture, where displaying our fruits has actually become celebrated more than digging in roots. This, this culture of, look what God's doing in my life, and here's some more of what God's doing in my life. And everybody knows all the good things that are going on in your life because you share them all, but there's nothing happening beneath the surface with you and the Lord. It's this temptation. And if you aren't careful, you will wake up and you will go to work for God, but never spend time to be with God. You will wake up and you will be like, it is my job to do more. It is my job to become more. It is my job to run around and try to become God's employee of the month. Can I just remind you what verse five said? Apart from me, you can do nothing. God does not need you. Does that sound like a God who needs you? Sometimes I'm like, you know, I take my job way too serious. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like I woke up this morning and I was stressed. We got some key team members who are sick today. And I'm like, man, we got to make sure that everything works great. We got to make sure everything's ready at church. And I'm stressed. And I got into the parking lot and I just was like, man, you're preaching about staying connected to the vine today. And you haven't even connected to Jesus yet. You got all the way to church stressing. You got all the way to church worried. Uh, Listen, either God is who he says he is or he isn't. Either either God is your source or he isn't. And this morning, I don't want you to fall prey to the temptation that that working for God is more important than being with God. The irony is this, when you focus on producing fruit, you will not do it very long. But when you focus on Jesus, everything changes. When you focus on producing fruit, this is what happens. You will burn out. 
you will get tired. In fact, it won't, you won't just be exhausted, you'll actually get bitter. You'll take it out on other people, you'll isolate, you'll start telling yourself excuses for why you can't do the things that you were trying to do or, or why you can't honor your commitments and it will all be because you're chasing fruit. But the other way around is if you make fruit, if you make Jesus the goal, you won't be able to contain the amount of fruit that's in your life. There will be fruit in your family. There will be fruit in your job. There will be fruit in your relationships. There will be fruit in your calling. There will be fruit in your platform. There will be fruit in your ministry. If you want to produce fruit, get to know the gardener. If you want to produce fruit, connect to the true vine. What's your source? Does it have power? Turn to your neighbor and say, what's your source? Turn to your second choice. Say, what's your source? In order for us, in order for us to, to really understand what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15, we've got to define the word fruit. Anybody ever heard uh, like, like somebody say, I just want to be fruitful? I, I just think like sometimes we talk so weird <laughs> as Christians. Like, like maybe you're here today and this is your first time at church and you're like, what are we talking about? Like, is this a farmer's convention? Is this the FFA? You know, is this the future farmers of America? It's like, why are they talking about fruit? We got to define the word fruit. We got to DTR fruit. Have you ever heard that phrase, DTR? I was leading a college ministry, and that was the first time I ever heard that phrase. These two girls were standing outside of our college ministry, and this girl, she looks at her friend, and, and she goes, oh, girl, you better DTR that. And I, I was like, did you mean to say DVR? Are you trying to record something? She's like, no, DTR, define the relationship. Define the relationship. Okay, connection to the vine is how you bear fruit. But what is fruit? What is fruit? We got to define it. So what we're going to do is we're going to define fruit by looking at scripture. Um, side note, if you ever need to define anything, any type of relationship in your life, the best place, the first place you should go to is scripture. If you need to define the relationship in your life with your money, go to scripture. If you need to define the relationship uh, in your life with your spouse, go to scripture. If you need to define the relationship with yourself, go to scripture. Scripture is the ultimate DTR of a, of a follower of Jesus's life. Galatians chapter five, verse 22 says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the spirit. That's what those things are. Bible scholar, Eugene Peterson who's an amazing pastor. Uh, he's most known for translating the Bible into the message translation. Anybody ever uh, read the message? It's, it's a very like readable and, and easy to understand version of the Bible. Um, that man, uh, Eugene Peterson, he said this about the fruit of the spirit. He said, the fruit of the spirit is simply putting on the character of Jesus Christ. So that's a, that's a version of fruit, having the character of Jesus Christ. But then Colossians 1.10 says this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. So it's having the character of Jesus, but it's also doing the work of Jesus. Tim Keller, uh, one of my favorite pastors ever, um, he, he recently passed away. His life will go on impacting um, people for generations, but he has this quote about fruit. He said, fruit is a life of spiritual usefulness, and productivity for the good of others and the glory of God. It is the proof of true discipleship. Okay, 
So I'm going to give you my definition because it's my sermon, and um, that's the one that we're going to put on the screen. It's uh, when you have the character of Christ and you do the work of Christ, and then here's the key part, for other people. For other people. Okay, that's supposed to hit harder than it did. When you have the character of Christ and you do the work of Christ for other people, the fruit in your life is not for you. The fruit in your life is always for other people. Uh, I was thinking about it this way. Uh, When I was a kid, I loved catching fireflies. Uh, We had fireflies all in our backyard. Uh, Do you guys know what I'm talking about, fireflies? Uh, Some people call them different things depending on lightning bugs, lightning bugs. We call them fireflies. And we had them all over our backyard when I was a kid. I mean, everywhere. Uh, You could not believe your eyes. If 10 million fireflies lit up the world as I fell asleep. Boop, 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 boop. Some of you guys are like, what is it? What? It was a song. It was a song. Uh, we had fireflies everywhere in my, in my yard. And uh, one summer, I, I think I was in like middle school. I wanted to figure out like, how do they do that? How do they light up like that? And so I started doing this research on Google on fireflies. And I actually found out there is a chemical that they produce called luciferin. Luciferin. That's what they produce. To, to light up like that. And, and it's actually very purposeful. It's, it's not just uh, a decorative thing uh, that they do. It actually keeps other bugs that try to eat them away from them. So it's, it's a defense mechanism that actually serves a purpose. But the interesting thing about the chemical that they produce, th- that I found at least, is if these fireflies accidentally inhale or ingest the chemical that they produce, uh, it actually kills them. It kills them. So what happens is if they like land on uh, a tree branch or something and then they light up and then they go back to that tree branch and touch the chemical because it, it, it kind of like, it's kind of gross. I don't want to get into it. But if they go back there and they re- retouch it, it will actually kill the firefly. What they produce is actually poison to them. Oh, that will preach. That will preach. Your fruit is not for you. And when you believe that it is, it will kill you. Because pride is a killer. Your gifting is not for you. It's for others. Your calling is not for you. It's for other people. Your money that God has gifted you with, the the money that he's bestowed on you, it's not for you. It's for others. It's all for others. I think God is looking for some people in this season on earth who are going, hey, it's not about me. I know that I'm talented in this area. I know that God's given me favor in this area. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour it right back onto the Lord. I'm going to give it right back to other people. I'm going to lay my life down as a living sacrifice, following the example of Jesus, going, I'm putting on the character of Christ. I'm doing the work of Christ. And it is not for me. That's a good place to say amen if you want to be one of those people. My fruit it's not for me. It's for, it's for God's glory, and it's for the good of other people. Back to verse 5, because this is the part that's really offensive. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's offensive. It's like, really, Jesus, nothing? There are plenty of people in 2023 who are doing lots of things without Jesus. There, there are people who are 
getting rich without Jesus, people who are starting businesses without Jesus. There are people who are in political office without Jesus. There, there are people graduating college without Jesus. Like, Jesus, we really can't do anything without you. Biblical fruit, the kind of fruit that you and I are, are, are asked to produce, the thing about biblical fruit is it's eternal. Because biblical fruit affects eternal things. It, it affects a soul. And so biblical fruit is eternal. What Jesus is not saying is you can't accomplish or build things without him. He's saying you can't accomplish or build things that will last without him. That's what he's saying. He's saying no matter how hard you build, no matter how much you you accomplish, it's all going to fade away if you don't do it with me, if you don't do it for my kingdom. But it's hard to see that in the moment. You know, success, it kind of feels forever when when you're in the middle of it, like, uh, I, I can't, I'll just put it to you this way. I can't ever picture a day right now in 2023 where Taylor Swift is not gonna be a big deal. She seems like just, she's at the top, you know? I mean, like she started dating Travis Kelsey. Have you heard of this? You've heard of this. We've all heard of this. Started dating the tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. And it's like, it's on every, like I, I feel like, Literally, I have a 78-year-old grandmother who lives in Baltimore, Maryland. And she texts me the other day. She's a big Ravens fan. She texts me, can you believe that they keep showing Taylor Swift during the game? She was so mad. <laughs> and, and I'm texting, I mean, my grandma's so funny. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I know, but it's like kind of a big deal. And she's like, I am watching to see football. <laughs> and I'm seeing Taylor Swift. Because she's made it. Here's the thing. Without Jesus, it's going to fall. This is what 1 Peter says. All people are like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. That sounds nice. Grass withers and flowers fall. I think about, like like when when you're in the moment, it seems like success is forever, but when you zoom out, you can actually see it for for what it is. I think about the most successful, most powerful person in Jesus's day was a man named Caesar. And um, Caesar was way more successful than Taylor Swift. He, He had like the fame of Taylor Swift, the money of Elon Musk, and the power of the president of the United States all mixed in one. And honestly, that might not do it justice. Like it was, he was that big of a deal. Uh, he, he had accomplished and built more than, than anybody, uh, you know, could ever hope to accomplish. And, and 2,000 years later, how many followers does Caesar have? 2,000 years later, how many people are still talking about Caesar besides the pastors using it as an illustration? You know what I mean? What's Caesar's legacy 2,000 years later? It's a salad. (laughs) That's his legacy. Because if you do it without Jesus, it doesn't last. Since I was a young kid, I've had this like, this idea in my head, I want to make my life count. I I mean, like, since I was like a young kid, I'm like, I don't want to waste time. I don't want to waste resources. I don't want to waste relationships. I want to make it count. And maybe you're here and you want your life to count. Can I tell you the easiest, most simple way to make your life count? Do everything with Jesus. Parent your kids with Jesus. Make decisions with Jesus. Include Jesus. When you do that, you will bear fruit and it is eternal. 
Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. What actually happens is, is when you do life with Jesus, it affects the next life. It affects other people's lives here and the next life. It's why the people at this church who, who serve every single week are so excited to serve because, because we know that this is not just about us in 2023. This is about our kids and their kids and their kids who are going to be affected because of the sacrifice of a few people going, I want to be pruned so that I can bear fruit. I could have slept in, but I want to bear fruit. I could have not showed up to serve in a couple weeks at the I Love Nashville Day, but I decided I'm going to serve because I want to bear fruit, because I want my city to look like Jesus, because I want my life to matter. This is what it looks like to bear fruit. Okay, everything to this point that Jesus has said is very straightforward. If you want fruit, connect to him. Prioritize your relationship with him. If you want your life to matter, do life with him. Keep your heart in the right place. But then he says this weird thing in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Keep my commands, and you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. What does it mean to remain in Jesus' love? This is kind of the climax of this talk. He says, he says, connect to me, but then he says, remain in me. He's saying it's not enough to just connect to the true vine. It's not enough to just connect to Jesus. You have to remain with Jesus. Because what happens when a branch gets disconnected from, from the trunk, from the vine? It dies. The same thing happens to you and me. And here's the thing about disconnection. It starts slowly often. It's a slow pull apart. We had this tree in our backyard. It got struck by lightning. And um, part of it, you know, just zapped and fell off. But over the last couple months, bits and pieces of it have been continuing to fall. Different branches have been continuing to fall. But it happened several months ago. Because sometimes it's not just an overnight pulling away. It's, it's a slow one decision at a time. One, one decision at a time. One decision at a time. And all of a sudden, you're not remaining. Here's the tragedy of not remaining. Not only do you miss out on the life that Jesus is called you to, but you also miss out on a lot of fruit. Really practically speaking, I think a lot of people have missed out on a lot of fruit simply because they never remain long enough to see it happen. If you went grocery shopping for fruit, spiritual fruit, just go with me for a second. You go to Publix where shopping is a pleasure. You're looking for spiritual fruit. You find some, you pick it up, you turn it over, you look at the back of the box, you know what the number one ingredient for spiritual fruit is? Faithfulness. You cannot have fruitfulness without faithfulness. And so if you want to see fruit in your life, remain long enough to be faithful. Uh, two weeks from now, we're launching dinner parties. I hope that all of you will sign up. They're amazing. It's going to be so much fun. So many of my best friends have now come from the first dinner parties that we had at Way Church. It's just a time where we're going to feed you dinner. We're going to hang out for like an hour and a half, and we're just going to sit around the dinner table, groups of 12, 15 people, and we would love for you to come. Um, but if you come to a dinner party because you're looking for community, but then you don't get around that community and you don't stay, you know, plugged into that community, you're not going to bear fruit by just going to one event. You bear fruit by remaining in relationship. 
by remaining in community. You, you, you bear fruit by going, all right, I'm going to go to the next dinner party. And then when, when you guys launch small groups, which are coming in January, oh, tease, okay. Uh, when, when you launch small groups, like, like I'm going to commit and, and, and be a part of that because that's where fruit is. That's why our second value at Way Church is to live in a committed community. Committed community. Okay, I wasn't supposed to go off on this tangent, but I'm just going to do it for a second. I think everybody's craving community, and I think the tragedy that is happening is people will go into community and they'll love it. Like everybody loves community on week one and week two and week three. And then what happens is somebody in that community says something rude or does something rude, and then we get offended and we go, I don't want to be a part of that community anymore. I'm going to go to the next community because the next one's perfect for the first three or four weeks. And when you do that, you actually are missing out on so much. Primarily, you're missing out on an opportunity to be like Jesus because Jesus was never a part of a perfect community because there's not one. Our promise to you at Way Church is that we are not a perfect community. That's our promise. But we are a committed community because we believe that when you stay in community, when you stay in relationship with people who might get under, under your skin a little bit every once in a while, who might do things differently than you, who might not look like you, who might not act like you, who might not spin like you, when you force yourself to remain, what actually happens is your soul begins to be chipped at by the Holy Spirit. You start to go from, from the old Noah to the Noah that looks a little bit more like Jesus. Because you're presented with opportunity after opportunity to love people like Jesus, to stay with people like Jesus. Same thing happens with, with serving. Uh, you know, the last three years I traveled full time. Every single Sunday I was in a different church preaching. And pastor after pastor, I'd be like, how can I pray for you? And it would be like, man, we just can't, we can't seem to keep the serve team you know, whatever they call their, their dream team, whatever, we can't seem to, to grow it. It just seems like we'll add a few people and then we lose a few people. We'll add a few people and we lose a few people. And I'm like, man, that's so, that's, that's so tough. And, and we'll talk about it. And, and it's like, yeah, it's tough for the church, but it's tougher for the people that are leaving. Because if you don't remain, you won't bear fruit. Can I just challenge you? If you're like on the fence or maybe you already call Way Church home, you've been coming every week, you know what I believe will produce so much fruit in your life? Going through Way Track and serving every Sunday that you can for a year. I, I promise you, like I gave the giving talk last week and I was like, we don't need your money, but God wants your money. I was like, God's gonna provide. And literally last week we had the biggest offering we've ever had. And I was like, don't give me your money. Like I'm not asking for your money. And, and God just like, exceedingly and abundant. God will do the same thing with our team. We have 110 Waymakers right now. Praise God. It's amazing. Making, making a space for people. So I'm giving you the Waymaker pitch, not because, not because we need you, we, we want you. And because I believe it'll produce fruit in your life because you've got to remain somewhere. You can, I'm just giving you church examples, but it's the same thing with your, your friendships, with your coworkers. It, it's the same thing with your finances. It's the same thing with your spouse. You've got to remain if you want to see fruit. You've got to remain. So that's what it looks like practically, spiritually. This is how you remain. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live 
in the tent of this body. Okay, so spiritually, you remain by being faithful, by staying, by showing up, by being consistent, but also spiritually, you remain by reminding. Peter, in the first 10 verses of, of 2 Peter chapter 1, he spends 10 verses reminding these people of the goodness of God. I don't know if you noticed, but he says uh, that they were already established in the truth. They already knew God. And then Peter, a disciple of Jesus, thinks it's important enough to write 10 verses reminding them of what they already knew. He says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live. You know why I think he does this? Because the moment you stop reminding yourself of God's goodness in your life is the moment you stop remaining. I remember my dad was a pastor, uh, still is a pastor, uh, but growing up, he pastored a, a large church in Tampa, Florida. And I remember he did a prison ministry where he would go to the prison every other week and he met someone in prison that he, he led to Jesus uh, one morning. His name was Bob. That's his real name. It's not a fake illustration name. That's his real name. Uh, Bob got out of prison a couple months later and he came to our church. And Bob had been kind of following along, uh, you know, from, from getting to hear what was going on at the church from my dad. But then when he got to the church, when he got out of jail and he came to church, Bob was all in. Bob was like in his mid-50s, and he was the guy, he would sit on the front row, he was like shouting my dad down. I mean, it was like he'd watched one too many old T.D. Jakes videos, and, and like, it'd be like the wrong part of the sermon, and he's like standing up, like shouting. I mean, like he was like super into it. Bob would, uh, he served, he was on the greeter team, he joined the greeter team, and he's like high-fiving people, chest-bumping people. Um, Bob responded to every altar call. All right, so in our church growing up, we did an altar call almost every week at the end of the sermon. It was like, hey, the response today to the sermon is to come up to the front and we're gonna pray down here. And I think that those moments are, are really powerful. Um, and so he would, uh, my dad would do these altar calls and Bob would respond every single Sunday. Like my mom preached one Sunday on Mother's Day and did a Mother's Day altar call. And I'm pretty sure Bob came down for that one. But what I've noticed as I've been following Jesus is that it's often the people who are newest to Christ that have the most passion for Christ. Have you ever noticed that? This is not always the case. But oftentimes, the people who have had the freshest encounter with Jesus are the ones who are like, use me. I'll do it. I'll serve. I'll sign up. I'll shout you down, use me. And I've just been perplexed by this because, because it seems like it should be the opposite. It seems like the longer you follow Jesus, the more passion you should have, the more hope you should have, the more expectancy you should have. But yeah, it's flipped. And I have a theory on why it is. My theory is it's because they have had the freshest reminder of the goodness of God. The freshest reminder of how undeserving they are of the grace of Jesus Christ. Of how, how they were just blind, but now they could see. How they were once lame, but now they could walk. They were once dead, but now they're alive. Can I tell you how to remain? Remind yourself. Remind yourself of where you were when God found you. Remind yourself of who you used to be before Jesus got a hold of your heart. Remind yourself of what used to be your prize 
before Jesus became your prize. Remind yourself of the lack of fruit that you used to have in your life and now the fruit that is overflowing in your life because of Jesus. Remind yourself of where you've been and you'll remain. Because he's a good God and he's a faithful God. I mean, like sometimes people probably think, you would think I was crazy if you were like in the car with me sometimes. Because I'll just be in the car and I'll be like having a tough day. And, and this principle, I'm trying to make it true in my life. And I'll just be like, God, you're good. I'll just like yell it out loud. And it's like, I know God's good, but my soul needs that reminder. Because I never want to just get used to this. I never want to just be okay with like floating through the fact that I have a relationship with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one who literally breathes stars into existence. This is not just something that I want to take for granted. I want to be reminded of it. This is a miracle that my sin was paid for, that I was bought with a price, that I am not seen as some employee that works for God. I am his son. You are his daughter. It's a miracle.